this weekend, it's a holiday weekend, and I just, I cannot go without recognizing those that have served our country. Um, I know we have a, a few veterans here, and you guys know that I do currently still serve. It's not to throw confetti on myself. But um, there are times where we need to look back and reflect and remember. Because if we don't reflect, if we don't look back, if we don't think about it, if we don't remember, we're bound to make the same mistakes. And I can't think of a more opportune time than today for us to continue to lift up our nation in prayer. If there's any, if there, as we just sung, if there is a moment, if there's any time that we need Jesus, if we need the Lord to pour out his spirit on our nation, it is now. So, maybe, maybe Congress, maybe our politicians need to hear this sermon. Um, and the one before, uh, as we deal with the fear of the Lord, right? Um, so before I get into this, number one, thank you to the vets who are here who have served. Thank you for your service. Let's lift our, our, our nation up in prayer. And before we begin, I want to invite you to pray with me as we are about to open God's word. Let's pray together. Father God, we are grateful for the opportunity you've given us to have this freedom to open your word and publicly express our gratitude for you, for what you've done. And Lord, we also recognize that you have given us uh, responsibilities. You have entrusted us with Blessings in which are not ours, but yours. So I pray, Father, as we lift up this nation, may your spirit be poured out on it. They may recognize you for who you are and not who you are not. And at the same token, I pray that you will open our, our hearts and our minds to listen to your still, small voice calling us this morning as we open your word we ask this in Jesus name amen you know men are an interesting breed <laughs> you know we like to to do some odd things right you know, Glenn, how many times have you switched the engine on your Subaru? Um, I, I've, I've lost count from the times you've told me, and I know that you recently did another one. Um, I know this, you know, as I met with Steve this week, uh, he's like, I did this crazy exercise, and I'm still sore from Monday, and this was yesterday. Um, men like to do things that are odd. Right? One of the things I like to do is Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And this, this, on Wednesday night, I'm sitting after I had just rolled. What that means is, never mind. Um, 
I had a mat burn on my knuckle or a kimono burn on my knuckle. And I'm like, oh, that's why people tape their knuckles. And I was excited. I'm like, yes, it's a badge of honor. I'm actually rolling. You know, each time when I come home and, and I'm getting ready to, to go shower, um, my wife looks at my arm and she's like, what's that? And it's black and blue from wrestling and, and, and being tossed on the mat and, and being smashed and whatever. And, and so we are, I'm happy to do that. Like Steve is happy to put himself through trauma <laughs> as he exercises in the morning with his boys. Um, you know, I know Glenn likes to work with his hands as he described it. These are tools that God has given us, right? And so men do some odd things. Like, for example, this one guy. He proposed to a woman he didn't love because she told him that he wasn't a man enough to ask her to marry him. They're not together. <laughs> One guy, he refused to say the word selfie, and the dude called them selfos because selfie sounded too girly. Another man jumped off a balcony onto an, 11, to an uneven rocky hillside. The first time he did it, he got a few scrapes. The second time he did it, he broke his leg and wouldn't admit it until he needed medical attention 24 hours later when he passed out in pain. Right? Are you okay? No, I'm all right. You know? Are, are, are you hurt? No. I can tough it out. You know, some frat boys, they had this game where they decided to kick each other until one of them passed out. Stupid, right? But you know, it's a proven fact. Men do stupid stuff. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Don't worry. Women, your turn is coming. Not today. Today's just the men. But if we can get the video going, please. Medical journal finds that men are idiots. Specifically, they are much more likely to engage in stupid or risky behavior than women, often at risk to their own health or finances. They cite an armed robber who disguised himself by spray painting his face gold and then promptly died of the paint fumes. An actual quote from this study, men are idiots and idiots do stupid things, to which men around the world offered a two-word rebuttal, Chuck Yeager. That's it. So it's actually, there, there was a study done um, that actually proved this, right? That men like to do some weird stuff. I mean... When we look at what the Bible talks about being wise and being foolish, some of these things I just read to you or shared with you may sound foolish, right? You'd never do that. Who would ever want to pay to be thrown around and get rug burns or, or mat burns on their knuckles? Who likes to pay to, to you know, jump off a plane? 
there are certain things that we enjoy doing. But when we look in the context of the biblical scheme, and we looked at last week's sermon, when we talked about the comparison between wisdom and folly, it's not just about doing stupid things. To be wise isn't just to have a safe schedule or do safe things. Actually, the Bible described wisdom a movement that one has in the direction of God. That's wisdom. And it also describes that to be folly, it is movement in the direction of self. Okay? So today we're going to continue this. We're going to expand this a little bit more to, to see because the Bible describes three groups of people. There is the, those that are wise, there are those that are foolish, and there are those that are simple. We talked about the wise, we talked about the foolish, we didn't talk about the simple. So we're going to look at today, uh, continuing on with that very first part of the book of, of, of Proverbs, as you can see, the part in red is where we're going to concentrate today. So I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verses 20. And we're going to read through all the way through 33. The words are on the screen today. If you have a magnifying glass, just kidding. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. Remember, guys do foolish things. Wisdom is being portrayed as who? A woman. Okay? A woman is here. Now, this is what I find interesting. Back in that, those times, not to say that women didn't work, but typically, who was the one who's in the marketplace calling people's attention to come by? The men. Typically. But here, the, Solomon is portraying wisdom is like a woman calling out. In today's world, we look at a woman who calls out somebody less than ideal. But she cries out everywhere for people to learn. She's doing something and she speaks these words, right? She's being portrayed as a woman and she says, how long... You simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. They turn at my rebuke, and I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. This is conditional if those three individuals 
listen to the rebuke. We also talked about last week that nobody likes to be told what to do, right? So when wisdom comes along, at first, it may be in the form of a rebuke. It may be in the form of a reprimand. But it says that I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. There are three categories of people here. Simple ones, scorners, and fools. When we look at the Hebrew, the word for simple are those that are inexperienced. You know what we call them in the sports world? Rookies. Rookies. If you're in high school, freshmen. Yeah, sorry. You'll find out. And then you become a sophomore and you think you know any better and then you realize you're still an underclassman. And then you become juniors and you're like, hmm, I can't wait to become a senior. And then you're a senior and you look back and you're like, man, that went by fast. I can't wait to get out of here. But then you look back and you're like, hmm, freshman year wasn't that bad. But here, simple ones are those with less experience. Rookies, freshmen. What do freshmen know? Very little, right? I have, I have one of these simple ones at home. Not my wife. Often, I have to argue, for, for the sake of a, of a better word, that listen to what I am telling you. Listen to the words that I am saying to you. But you don't know what I'm thinking. I'm like, okay, and maybe I don't know exactly what your, your process is, but here's what's going to happen, X, Y, and Z. Well, how do you know that? How old am I? How old are you? I've been your age a few times over. But here she says this, you will, you will, love, will you love simplicity? How long will you love simplicity? These are those that know they don't know a whole lot or think they know it, but they don't care to learn about new stuff. These are the ones who intentionally remain in that category because they're okay. Life is chill. Life is good for the most part. And so there, there is no desire to learn or to adapt. There is no desire to grow. There is no desire to learn. There is no desire to move forward. There's no desire for self-evaluation. There's no desire for self-inspection. And so they remain simple. But then we have the, the second group, which are scorners. These are the ones that are arrogant. Oh, I'm the best one there is. Man, see, scorners... 
they delight in being arrogant. There's nobody like me. I'm irreplaceable. Oh, if I leave, place is going to go to bits. If I quit the team, y'all are going to stink. If I leave this church, it's going down the tubes. If I drop this leadership role, who's going to fill my spot? These are the scorners. And they love to put people down. They love to make sure that you know that they know there's nobody like them. And then, they're the fools. These fools hate that you come and bring something to their attention that will show them that there's a better way. That, hey, by the way, if you tweak this or you tweak that. What? I've been doing this for such a long time. We've been doing this for such a long time. Why does it have to change? All of these are characteristics of those that are not just simple, but are in the simple category that love to remain where they stay. See, the simple, they stay right in the middle. They don't move in either direction. They choose not to move. They choose to stay where they are. They choose not to grow. They choose not to make a decision or take a step. The simple don't want to upset the status quo. The simple are those that are standing in the crossroads of wisdom and folly. And when you come to a crossroad, you have to make a decision. If you stay in the crossroad, you're going to cause an accident. Try putting your car in the middle of of Santa Barbara and, and Davis and leave it there. Well, see what will happen. But this is exactly what what the simple do. They are, they are standing in the crossroads of wisdom and folly, and they re- remain there. They don't go anywhere. And we have those in the church. I'm not talking about people who don't want to do things for the church. I'm talking about people who don't want to do things for themselves spiritually. There are those that, oh, I think I've acquired enough wisdom for me to be a good person. But hell isn't full of good intended people. To be a simple person within, within Christianity and within Adventism means that you are not progressing. Your relationship with God is stagnant. Your, your relationship with God isn't going anywhere, and God can't come to you and say, move here because, oh no, I am comfortable in my knowledge of you. That's, what, that's who the simple are. And that's what the simple do. They don't go one way or the other. 
See, I want to go back to the arrogant because the arrogant um, are adverse to moral truth and are inexperienced. But let me show you this. The simple are inexperienced, arrogant, and adverse to moral truth. All three of them. Has somebody ever approached you and say, hey, what do you think about this? Oh, that doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to me because I don't think this is what the Bible says. Well, let me share something with you. The Bible, you can interpret it in two ways. It, is God, it's, it either is God's word for you or it is not. All of it, the Bible says, is inspired by God. Do you believe that? I don't think all of you do. For those of you that are still on the fence, the Bible says that every word that's been God-breathed, what that means is that God moved people through thousands of years to write what you find in here to point you to Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible's here. And within this book, there are things for which you will read that you can choose to say, I don't think God is, is really saying this. I think this is what he means. But if this is God's word, 100% of it, I have to be Subjected to this. This is what's going to dictate how I behave. This is how it's going to dictate how I move forward. This is how it's going to dictate how I see myself before God. And how I see myself before God is that I am a sinner. And I need God to reveal his plan to me through Jesus Christ and by following him, I will have eternal life. You see, if we continue to be our own interpreter of the Bible, we are going to be kicking against the goads. You know where that term comes from? A lot of you have heard it before. It's found in the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 5. This particular chapter talks about a man by the name of Saul. And in chapter 8, it opens up by, with a statement that, and Saul condoned his death. Saul approved of, in other words, he was in favor of somebody who was murdered. This somebody was Stephen. And in between that statement, there are two stories that sandwich that statement with what happens next in Saul's life. That is, Philip, he begins to perform miracles, and then he preaches to an Ethiopian. By the way, did you know that the Ethiopian Bible is older than the King James? Just a little fun fact. 
So then Paul, excuse me, Saul, goes on this spree. He's going into people's houses. He's pulling women by their hair, and he's dragging people onto the streets, and they're being stoned or they're being dragged to the, to the temple to be tried because they are not following the Jewish religion. They are of the way, and I'm not talking about the Mandalorian. That's what the Christians were called at that time. They are the people of the way. Why? Jesus said, I am the way to God. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. So all of a sudden, he gets this letter. Uh, We would call that an injunction or some kind of uh, permit to go persecute the Christians in Damascus. So he jumps on his horse and he's riding and all of a sudden this bright light appears and a voice out of nowhere comes out. The Bible tells us that those that were with him hear the voice but can't see the light. And the voice states, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, who are you? And the reply is, why do you continue to kick against the goads? The goads was an instrument of agriculture that was used to prod the hind legs of the bulls that would pull the the tiller. So somebody would take this long pole and put this sharp pointed end on the end and they would prod the bulls to move forward so they could till the ground. Basically, it's kind of like a spur on a cowboy's boot when they kick the horse to make it move. It's unpleasant. If you're a basketball player, it's like having to do suicides. It's horrible. But it's done with the intention to get you to move faster. And Jesus is telling Paul, why are you kicking against a sharp-pointed stick? There are many times when we have been kicking against a sharp-pointed stick because God is calling us to do things that we don't want to do. What is fascinating to me, though, is that This statement illustrates that somewhere, somehow, in Paul's heart, he saw, because he was alive when Jesus was here, this is shortly after his resurrection, Paul must have been, or Saul, must have been one of those that were present when Jesus performed a miracle at the temple. Simple logical deduction leads me to this conclusion. There's no way... For him, for Jesus to make that statement, if Paul were not affected psychologically by what Jesus had done previous to his ascension. So he was wrestling. And there are times when we wrestle with what God is putting in our hearts and we just sit there and we start kicking against that sharp pointed stick because we don't want to move in the direction that God is pointing us to go. Thus, Jesus is telling Saul, why are you kicking against the goads? 
See, when we are simple, we refuse to move. We may not be doing some foolish stuff, but we're not moving in the direction that God wants us to go. The simple are the ones who are complacent to Jesus' calling of follow me. Ah, I can do it tomorrow. I'm good where I'm at. I'm a pretty good person. I go to church on Saturdays. I return my tithe occasionally. I give to the church when it affords me. And this is not about finances, believe me. This is about your relationship with God and who is in charge of your life. See, when it comes to spirituality, Jesus says, follow me. The fishers of men drop the fishers of the fishermen drop their nets to become fishers of men. A week later, two days later, an hour later, immediately the Bible says they dropped everything and followed Jesus. There's a warning, though. There's a, wor- there's a warning, though, that if you remain simple, consequences will come. And here what it says, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. Because I have called you and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one re- regarded it. Because you disdained all my counsels and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Can you think of a time when this happened? The flood. 120 years Noah preached. 120 years he built. 120 years he fashioned the wood to fit just right and build a boat. And yet people did not move in that direction. And when the flood came and the doors were closed and Noah was inside with the ark... In the ark with his family, they were crying out and nothing happened. But let me just assure you, this is not about doom and gloom. Because God does not despise or delight in the death of the wicked. See, if we believe that God is love, he wants us to move in that direction towards him. He calls us to be his disciples. He calls us to be followers. He calls us to move out of the simplicity of life into the wisdom of followership. Because even if you're in the simple category, you're still trying to dictate what happens in your own life. You're still trying to, you're telling God, I am the boss of me. 
Man, how many times have I heard my son tell his sister, you're not the boss of me. But we do that with God all the time. Because we think we've reached a certain level in our spiritual walk with God where we understand what it says, but maybe we haven't been doing what he's called me to do. He continues, because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. I want to highlight again two things. One from this statement and one from the story of Saul. We talked about last week that the fear of the Lord is what? What? Obedience to God. The fear of the Lord is obedience to God. That is, how, that is the evidence of you having the fear of the Lord is that you obey his calling. It's not about legalism. No, no. It's not about legalism. Because when God calls you to grace... It's a call of abnegation. It's a call of you giving up yourself and accepting what he has for you. You abdicate your own desire because of grace. And because of grace, you do what he asks you to do. That is the evidence of the fear of the Lord is obedience. Not salvation through works, but obedience to the call of God. When we go back to the story of Saul, and Jesus asks Saul, why do you keep kicking against the goads? Saul's reply was, what do you want me to do? What kind of question is that? It's a question that requires action. If you want me to do something... Therefore, I must give up something. And this is exactly what happened. The fear of the Lord. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose to obey the Lord, they would have none of the counsel. Parents, let me ask you a question. When you ask your children to do something and they don't obey you, did they listen to you? Man, you, you guys have perfect children? None of the, your kids disobeyed you? When you were a kid and you disobeyed your parents, did you listen to them? No? Okay, then. I just want to make sure you guys are tracking with me. That's why it's important when we look at this and recognize where we stand. Be foolish living has many unpleasant consequences that cannot be changed. We cannot change the consequences of our actions. We know that. Ask somebody who was drunk and killed a, a pedestrian. He knows he can't change that fact. Ask a murderer who has repented 
if he can change what has been done in the past. The consequences are still there. Oh, but Jesus loves me. He forgives me. He gives me a Yes, he does. But grace has nothing to do with the consequences of your choices. Let me finish with this part. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure and without fear of evil. This doesn't mean that calamity won't come to your doorstep. That's not what this, this text is about. If we are talking about the fear of the Lord, then we are talking about a battle of good and evil. But when you do obey the Lord, you will sleep soundly at night. You will be at peace. You, will, you are aware that God is there to protect you, and you will have your eternal reward guaranteed. That's what wisdom is. When we search for wisdom, it's not a search just to make the good and right direction, decisions to move in the right direction of our own choosing. But it is to move in the direction where it's leading us closer to the will of God for our lives. And for some of us, we need to do some soul searching. For some of us, we need to start moving, period. For some of us, we need to turn around. And for some of us, we need to keep going. I don't know where you fall in that category. Andrew, could you go back to the slide that you have the word simple in the middle? It's the graph. Not that one. That one. Thank you. Where do you find yourself in this? Which category do you consider yourself to be? I got good news. Jesus said, I will turn no one away who comes to me. That's grace. He may have mercy. And his mercy was poured out at Jesus at the cross because that is the, the penalty I needed to pay. And I shared with you the stories about my father. How once I hit him because somebody needed to pay and he said, no, I'm going to pay for you. Mercy has been granted to all of us because Jesus already paid the price for you and I on the cross. But now he's calling us to follow him. He's calling us to move away from the simplicity of life or the foolishness of life and start moving in the direction of wisdom. What I like about this, there is no wrong place to be. As long as you are moving in the direction of God, 
Because we all are, if we, there is no line that says you're safe here unless you are with God. And, and the only time that we're going to be there with God is in heaven, physically. But spiritually speaking, wherever you find yourself in that spectrum, in that category, in that line, choose wisdom. Choose wisdom. And start moving from wherever it is that you are and allow God to come and move you into a direction of relationship where he can tell you, hey, go to the left and you go and you're going to understand why. I believe the psalm ends with a particular verse. Excuse me, the proverb. Proverbs, verse 33, it says, But whoever listens to me, this is wisdom saying, will dwell safely and will be secure without the fear of evil. Chapter 2, verses 21 and 22 says this, For the upright will dwell on the land, and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth, and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. You have a simple choice. You can do dumb things, but you're not stuck there. You can be foolish. But that doesn't define you. You have an opportunity to move in the direction of wisdom. So choose, but choose wisely. God bless you.